Nick, welcome to Maybe You're Like Me. How are you doing today, man? You look good. Mike, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Listen, I'm doing really well. There's no place that I would rather be. I love having conversations with people like you and sharing everything that I can. Hopefully it's a useful conversation today. Oh man, I think it's going to be a good time. Uh, Just from the about 35 seconds of interaction we've had so far, I feel like this is going to be a great conversation. So uh, listen, welcome to Maybe You're Like Me. So happy you're here. Honored that you would join us and uh, take your busy time because you've got a lot going on right now. Uh, You are about to release a book into the world and we're pumped about that for you. And so, but uh, let's just get this whole party started here. And so uh, for there's people out there that may not have heard of you before, they're like, who's this Nick guy? What? He seems I can't I, believe that. Living under a rock. This is a real uh <laughs> rumple stilts. Nope. Who's the guy who uh fell asleep for a hundred years? That Rip Van Winkle. Rip Van Winkling, and uh, they're just waking up and figuring out number one, what is the internet? Mm-hmm. Number two, how how is a podcast? But yeah, but there, if there's people out there that may not have bumped into you before, <laughs> give us the rundown. Who are you? Uh, and let's start with like more uh, personal details. So like uh, where you at? A, but just give us the the fun rundown, the elevator pitch. Sure. So I'm calling in today from the wonderful Taunton, Massachusetts, which is Ooh, on the wow. South Shore, right, right south of Boston. Um, I'm 29 years young, so I'm about to be 30 in December. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> and uh, I'm the founder of a company called Book Thinkers, spelled just like it sounds, Book Thinkers. I serve hundreds of authors a year and help them promote and market their books. We have a podcast and we have a suite of services that my team helps to execute. And I love books. I believe the right book at the right time can change your life, especially if it's implemented effectively and you have the right tools and strategies. So I mentioned I'm 29 years young. I think the difference with me and a lot of other 29 year olds is that I'm literally living my dream life. I'm in the middle of it. Like this present moment is exactly where I've dreamed of being. And it happened a lot faster than I originally thought it would. Like life doesn't have to be so hard. And these books that we're reading, personal development, business, philosophy, psychology, they condense decades of useful information into days of reading. And you can shortcut and like get to where you want to be faster and more efficiently. So I'm here to spread the good word, man, the positive power of personal development books. I love it, man. Uh, So now here on the podcast, it's called Maybe You're Like Me. And so we're trying to see if maybe uh, there's people out there that like you see celebrities or influencers and all these people that they seem like they've got it all together. But um, we're going to try to get past the filters. And if we're going to get past the filters, let's start with the filtered version. So like, give me like the shiny version of you. So if somebody's just following you online or if they followed your podcast or like, give us like, give us the highlight reel for a second. So we're all in awe of you. And then we'll talk and maybe get to know the real you a little bit. Yes. Well, uh, let's see a million impressions a month interviewing the world's top celebrities and authors, uh, traveled to 25 countries over the last couple of years, just got married to the woman of my dreams. We just bought an amazing house. All of my clients and my business and my employees, it's just the perfect world, man. So I'm living right in the middle of it and and it makes me happy. That's awesome, man. I'm happy for you. And, uh, so I did a deep dive. I tried to learn everything I could about you on the internet. Uh, a couple of days ago. And I'm like, let's figure out who this guy really is. And it seems like you got a cool life. You're, you got a beautiful wife and all this stuff and you're just rocking and rolling. And I'm proud of you from a distance. So good job. And, um, uh, so yeah. And, uh, we mentioned a second ago, but you've got a new book coming out 
and uh, I'm excited to read it. And uh, so as soon as like genuinely, I'm going to get on Amazon, pre-order this guy and we're going to read it together. It's going to be great, but it's called Rise of the Reader. Uh, let, what is that all about? I would love to hear about a little bit more. Well, over the years of building this community of nonfiction readers, people who recognize the difference between where they are and where they want to be and they're reading books to close the gap, I've had hundreds of people reach out to me and they say, hey, Nick, I appreciate all the book recommendations. In fact, I think some of these could probably help solve the problems I'm currently facing. But I read these books, I'm inspired to take action, but I always fail to take action. Sounds good in my head, but it's really hard to create tangible results from these books. Like, what am I missing? And so I'd respond to these people. I'd write voice or I'd say voice notes or I'd write emails or jump on a quick Zoom call. But I always felt like I was underserving those people because I knew I was doing more than what I was capable of communicating given those mediums. So I wrote the book, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn, because like I mentioned earlier, books have literally solved almost every problem in my life. And we can dive into the nitty gritty, ugly stuff too, because there's plenty of that. But they've literally helped me solve so much of the pain and they've helped me develop so many of the skills needed to be where I want to be. And I had to kind of pause and say, what am I doing? What's different between how I read and implement and everybody else? And so I decided to put it in this book because there's an opportunity cost to reading a book that could help you solve the problems that you're looking to solve and not having effective implementation strategies. So that's what the book's all about. That's cool. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of times that uh, I know I'm personally uh, uh, susceptible to it. I'll read something, put it down and then forget all about it. But it seems like you've figured out some practical tools and ways to help people to not only read it, but do it. Um, I actually work in the church world and there's a pretty famous Bible verse about like, not only be hearers of things, but actually doing them. And so, uh, doing it is actually, uh, it's a big deal. So I, I think it's really cool what you're putting out in the world and helping people and doing that stuff. So good job, Nick. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And by the way, the Bible is one of my favorite personal development books. And I also wanted to mention a quote real quick, which you just reminded me of. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's by Napoleon Hill. He says, action is the real measure of intelligence. That's cool. So it's not just sitting back and sounding smart, but it's taking action on what you learn. That's what creates sort of the life that a lot of us are looking to build where we're not financially insecure. You know, we're not insecure about our health. We're very healthy and happy. Um, so yeah, that's where it's at. Action. Sounds good. Now on the podcast, we do things in a couple of rounds. And so, uh, the more we get to know you, you don't want to start like I call the first round, the first date round. And when you start on it, when you're on a first date, you don't want to ask like the super deep questions. Like you want to, you want to kind of get to know somebody, but you also don't want to ask like, uh, what is your favorite number? Because that's number one, that's weird. Number two, negative 21 and two thirds, which is what? an interesting number. So Super interesting. But anyway, movie. let's skip that for now. <laughs> it sounds like the opposite of a Jim Carrey movie, but I don't want to get into that either. The um, but yeah, so uh, you want to ask the right questions, and so you want to get to know somebody a little bit better, and um, so you ask questions that maybe have a few like that aren't completely surface level, but uh, you want to get to know somebody, and so uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of these, and um, they may not be questions that you've answered uh, in any other podcast, and so let's just have some fun. Um, but all right, what is a movie that you can quote front to back? beginning to end with no problems. Oof. I don't actually think I have one. Ooh la la. Maybe that's a different answer for everybody. <laughs> um, I grew up in a house that could quote every single line from the princess bride. 
Okay. And that's a movie that like my dad and his siblings, they can just speak in mm-hmm. quotes from that movie. And so I've got a bunch of those in the back of my head. Um, but yeah, you know what? I am a movie guy, but I spend so much time reading these books that I think I've like pushed a lot of the movie quotes just out of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old uh, Simpsons line. Uh, it's Homer talking and he says, uh, when I learned how to drink beer, I forgot how to drive. So he only had a room for so many things in his brain. And so, yeah, I understand what you, you got those, those, all those books going on in your brain there. So I, I'll allow it. Um, but princess bride's a good choice too. Uh, for me, yeah, it's I'll movie. say my favorite. Oh, go oh, ahead. God. Sorry. No, no, it's all I you. was going to say my, my favorite movies. I really love gladiator. Mm-hmm. I really love, I am legend. I love okay. fight club. So those are some of the, some of the movies that, uh, I've really enjoyed over time. I bet you get asked a ton about books. And so, you know, what? it's good to throw a, uh, a movie question in there. It is good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. The uh, oh, I was, what I was trying, uh, saying a second ago is, uh, oh, the movie that I can quote backwards and forwards is the movie Elf. And it's probably not oh, for the yeah. reason you think uh, from my uh, where I went to college to my home was about two and a half hours of a drive. And so at two, if I was uh, really wanting to get home. But and I had a, a video iPod and I had the movie Elf on my video iPod. And so I'd plug that in and I wouldn't watch the movie, but I would just listen to it. And I'd seen it so many times that I was just listening to it uh, to pass the time. And so now I can quote the entirety of Elf to you and probably School of Rock for the same reason. But uh, those are both real good times and a little bit of Will Ferrell, a little bit of Jack Black, never hurt anybody. So, yeah, I love both of those movies. I mean, those are good movies to watch or listen to. All right. So uh, we are, uh, we're talking books today. Um, both of us, big readers, uh, reading all the time. So, uh, and I know this is probably the worst question. You probably get this question a ton, but uh, if you were on a desert Island, you get two books. Uh, I'm sorry. You get four books, two fiction, two nonfiction. What are you bringing? Nonfiction at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> nonfiction, which is 98% of what I read. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's a little bit harder, but I'll go first. I would take the Bible. I'd take, I would take the Bible. I think that you could spend a lot of time reading or reflecting on that book and That's you want to choose one. a book that, that is very long. Um, and then I would choose, you know, there's probably some like wilderness survival guide type book that I would probably <laughs> choose. But since I haven't read any of those, I would choose something like tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. It's a very long book Sweet. stories about over a hundred different people in that book. And so you could kind of space those stories out and try to really think about them and apply them in different ways. As far as fiction goes, I would choose Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Ooh. And I would choose I'm not a big fiction reader, so this is tough. I would choose something that I haven't read yet, maybe a big book like the first Harry Potter book or the first Lord of the Ring, Lord of the Rings book or something like that, because I'm sure I could get lost in it. And I'm sure if I was on an island like that, I'd want to daydream and fantasize a little bit. Listen, I'm going to throw a cheat out there for you. And you just got like one big fat book with all the Harry Potters or the, the Narn or not the Narnia, but go. the uh, Lord of the Rings. Or I the got Narnia you. books. Yeah. Yeah. All I would take, choices. I would definitely take one of those. Yeah. <laughs> those are good choices. Um, I, now that like the thing that I like about that, uh, your answer to the, the nonfiction side 
is, or I'm sorry, the fiction side is that like, because you don't spend a lot of time in that area, like the ones that I feel like you read are probably the really good ones. And so I'm going to go check out your, uh, your first recommendation there. And uh, it's going to be, it's be good. And you can't go wrong with, you know, the Bible, uh, shout out to God. Um, but <laughs> it's a good one. So <laughs> yeah, those are great. Um, you know, so between the two of us, I, I'm probably not as big a reader as you are. Um, and I actually do lean more towards the, uh, the fiction side. Uh, I've got a friend who's recently got me hooked on, uh, some books by a guy named Brandon Sanderson and, uh, the audiobooks are like 24 hours long and you just get lost in them. Those are good on the fiction side. Um, and I, yeah, I, all those things at Narnia, Harry Potter, those are good times on the fi- uh, nonfiction side. Um, there is a guy named, uh, Bob Goff. He wrote a book. Uh, called Love Does. And that was a life changer for me. And then I like a good biography too. So uh, the Steve Jobs biography. So good. So, so good. So that's, I think that's where I'd land. And, um, and I think if I read the Steve Jobs biography over and over, I would just like eat apples and hopefully my island has (laughs) apples on it. Cause it, he basically just ate apples for a couple of years. So maybe that'd be inspiring to me. So who knows? The biographer that wrote that, Walter Isaacson, just put out the Elon Musk biography yesterday. Okay. So maybe that's maybe that's one that I'd have to cheat and add for a fifth book because I find Elon equally as fascinating as I do Steve. Elon's still alive, obviously, but it's a very detailed account of his childhood and kind of early years with PayPal and some of these other businesses. Sounds good. What I hear you asking me is if I want to start a book club with you. And yes, that sounds great. Can't wait to read <laughs> the old Elon with you. It sounds like a good time. All right. So that was the first date round. Uh, it's good to know a little bit more about you uh, and movies that we won't watch together and books that we could read together. So, um, all right. So by the way, my, my, I will say my wife, if she was on here, she could name a hundred movies that she knows and could quote backwards and forwards and front and back and left and right and up and down and maybe even in Spanish. So um, she's the movie watcher <laughs> out of the two of us. Sometimes I, you know, I just don't retain as much from them. The thing that's crazy is so like uh, I've got two brothers and uh, my oldest brother, he can tell you any sports fact uh, from the beginning of time. Uh, me, I am all pop culture. So music and movies and all that stuff. And then my little brother is a like weird freakish mixture of both. And he can quote everything. So like I'll watch a movie once and can quote the whole thing. Jason can tell you, or my older brother can tell you any sports fact uh, from uh, the first Olympics. And then my little brother, he's just super well-rounded. So uh, the world needs more people like my younger brother, I guess. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next round of questions, I call it the slow round. And it's where we try to get maybe a few layers deep and get to know you a little better. Um, And so the, the thing that, uh, that we've been, we've been living through a crazy, everything feels like, Hey, we're in unprecedented times here, but what's the biggest area of change that you felt in your life? Let's say in the last 10 years. So you've been on a journey, uh, you're in your late twenties now, so you can basically cover a decade, but how do you feel like you've changed from when you were 18, 19 up until now? I've lost a lot of ego and I've lost a lot of insecurity. I think in my late teens, it was a very confusing place for me because I had developed this ego in the world of kind of sports and competition, and uh, that would represent itself at the expense of other people. So I wasn't a lot of fun to be around. And on the other side of the coin, I had all these insecurities around my ability to communicate, to present in class, 
I would, you know, fumble something during a presentation or lose my train of thought and kind of get laughed at. And so as a result, I was not a very confident speaker unless I was in a tiny little group of friends and sports was involved. Right. (laughs) So getting into the world of personal development books and reading about the issues that I was dealing with and how to navigate them more efficiently, how to create more certainty in my life, how to be of service to other people instead of, you know, at the expense of other people, um, that's the biggest change. You know, I'm a, I'm a completely different human being than I was 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm in my late thirties now. Um, so, and by the way, the transition from 29 to 30, you're going to be all right. Uh, just watch your knees and you'll be great. So, yep. um, but, uh, the things that I notice in myself and that you probably notice as well is people that uh, in your life that haven't learned that lesson of dropping the ego and the people like I love funny people, but people that are funny at other people's expense are my least favorite type of funny people. And uh, I love it that that you could have learned a bunch of skills and you have learned a bunch of skills and you're a multi-layered person. But that the thing that you enjoy the change the most is that drop of ego and uh, maybe a little bit of a bent towards kindness and understanding more than uh, wanting your own way and uh kind of bulldozing people with your sports knowledge, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it feels good, uh, to focus on impact. And I think that, uh, you know, what is that line? A bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. And I just had Mm. so many of those bad days for the ego reading books about ego and narcissism and, uh, you know, books about being of service and giving and and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been a big change for me. Yeah. I think it's even cool that in your twenties that you figured some of that stuff out. Like, uh, I have friends, you probably have friends that, uh, they're fresh out of college or in their late twenties, early thirties. And uh, so I've got a little bit of time on me, not, not a ton, but in my time, you just see people that like, I've even said this out loud before that they just need like a, a kick in their ego teeth, you know, and just like, to get humbled is the wrong thing to say, but you see those people that they come in so arrogant, they come in so hot and they come in so full of ego that they are the very worst people to be around. But if you can put that aside, then that's, I love it that that's, that's where you're heading. And so that's really cool. Good job, man. Yeah, thank so you. On, uh, uh, you've just written this book and, uh, you're in the process of telling people all about this book, but uh, I heard a stat that says, uh, I think it's 80 something percent of people, uh, their dream is to write a book. And so, uh, I I'm one of those people, actually this whole thing started, uh, with me having a dream to write a book. And so I was like, let's have some conversations and, uh, let's flesh out some ideas and see if maybe, uh, there's some legs on this thing. And so, uh, I started, and then I started a podcast and then I started having way more fun starting a podcast than writing. And here we are. <laughs> so, um, but so people have the dream to write a book and there is a, a lot that goes into it. And a lot of times people will get to the beginning and then stop. But what kept you going uh, when it was hard? What, what even got you started? And like this whole process, how did you get this book into the world? Yeah, Mike, I mean, great question. Writing a book has been one of the hardest things that I've ever done. It took me about three years of consistent effort. So 
I decided to write the book because as I grew my community online, book thinkers, right? My audience is full of nonfiction readers, people who recognize the difference between where they are and where they want to be. And they're reading these self-help style books about business, philosophy, psychology, personal finance, everything in order to close that gap so they could be a better version of themselves. But people have been reaching out to me for years saying, Hey, Nick, I appreciate the book recommendations, but there's something broken in my process. I read the book, I get all inspired, but I fail to take action. What are you doing to take action? What frameworks and strategies exist to transform that information into results? And I was doing it, but I wasn't really sure how I was doing it. So I decided to pause, you know, every time somebody would reach out, I'd answer, I'd send them a voice note, I'd type out an email, I'd get on a Zoom call, but I didn't really know like what I was doing. So I kind of had to pause and observe my own behavior from a third party perspective for a little while. And I had to analyze myself and I decided to write the book for those people, the people that they're really inspired to take action, but they just can't get out of their own way. They just don't know what to do. And it causes analysis to paralysis. They just stay in the same place. They're stagnant and that stinks. And it's caused by inaction. I'm trying to solve that by helping them take action. So as I'm going through this process, it's very difficult to get my thoughts on a paper. It was not a natural process for me. I thought because I was so disciplined in my day-to-day life, with the gym and nutrition and everything else growing my business, that it would be easy for me. It was not. Why did I continue? Because I kept getting hit up by people that would ask me, how do I do the same thing that you're trying to write a book about? And it would remind me that there's a big audience for this. There's a genuine need for this specific type of person. And I have the answer. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I have the answer. I'm doing it. I just need to spend more time focused on analyzing that behavior and putting the pen to paper and writing. And so that's, I think, why I stayed connected. They say sometimes that your purpose comes from your pain. Mm -hmm. That was a pain that I used to experience. And so my purpose is to solve that for other people. That's so awesome. Yeah, I was the whole time you were talking, I was thinking it's funny how that pain point just kept presenting itself to you over and over and over again until the point where you honestly had no choice but to do it. So, yes. Uh, and I think the thing that's cool too for you especially is sometimes you can feel like you're you're working in a vacuum and so you are uh, you're writing this book and you have this idea and you're putting it forth but it seems like you're you're doing it for yourself almost. But for you I think it's cool because you have uh, those people that are always reaching out to you that are always trying to figure out like what what's that next thing. And so for you, you've got a, a built in audience already who wants what you're making and are going through the same things that you're going through. And that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely kept, kept me going and reminded me that there's a, there's an end point that's going to be very fulfilling for me, but for other people, because it's based in impact. Yeah. So this is just a, a writer question. So people out there like the idea, the big idea of writing a book is really scary. But for you, did at any point, did you fall in love with the writing process? Or was it always like, uh, in my brain, it's like, for me, especially because I'm a little dyslexic, and the writing process just like, I'm a lot ADD. And so like, I squirrel very easily. And so, uh, so sometimes I'm like, okay, I've got to write, I've got to sit down, I've got to write. But did, was there ever a point where it's like you got the runner's high of writing and you just fell in love with the process? Out of the three years, there were really only two periods of time where I felt that runner's high. 
Mm. One, I was living in Jacksonville actually for a short period of time. This is my second time down in Florida living down there. And there was a coffee shop within walking distance of the Airbnb that we were staying at. And I could walk to that coffee shop, order the same coffee, sit in the same chair, do my morning pages, and then get into a groove for a couple hours of writing. And I loved that routine. It felt Mm. great. And so it was more about the routine maybe than the writing, but I loved it. There was another period of time where I was flying a lot on airplanes Mm -hmm. and I always choose not to get the internet so that I'm forced to sit there on my laptop and just write stream of consciousness. And there's something about being up 30,000 feet stuck in front of the computer. LA to Boston is six hours. It's a flight that I've done so many times. And so you just have to get past the initial resistance. And once you're an hour or two into that process, like I could fly. And so I think that's probably the only other time that I experienced that. But between airplanes and maybe Jacksonville, Florida, I experienced a ton of resistance and I just, I could not get into a flow. Yeah. That, that part of it is like you uh, writing a book is work. And so work isn't always easy, but it's cool that you stuck with it and made it happen. Uh, and the fun thing for me is I get to reap from the benefits. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Listen, that's what these books do for people. They condense a decade or more of information into days of reading. And so I'm trying to teach people 10 years of what I've learned about how to implement these books. And uh, hopefully people can shortcut that with just a few hours of their time and avoid making all the mistakes that I made over the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, just for fun, do you remember what like the first one that really connected with you and like was a light bulb moment for you? For me, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki yeah. as far as a book that connected with me. Uh, I had a lot of, I mentioned the ego, the insecurity. I think a lot of the insecurity would represent itself at school because I was a business student that didn't know anything about money. And so these kids are running around talking about oh, I'm investing this much money or I'm going to make this much after school or I'm going to go work at this big company. And I had to shy away from those conversations because I had no financial literacy. Mm. And so reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, it's a book on personal finance, on investing and understanding how money works. And I was hooked right from the beginning because it was solving an immediate problem, something that I experienced issues with on a weekly basis. That's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. I like hearing what people's like the the light bulb moment for them. And was there anything along the way where like uh, a book that was like, oh, I need to do this for other people because this book did it for me? Or was it that first book? About a year later, I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. And The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, it's a little bit old now. I think it's 10, 12 years old. But it's a book on designing your dream life. And when I read the book, I was working a nine to five as a postgraduate in a cubicle. And Tim essentially says, escape nine to five, design your dream life. Like it's possible. Okay. Like, let me check it out. I followed the roadmap to a T and I took that same job and it became a remote job. And I started working from other countries. And then I took the principles in that book and I started building my side hustle, which now is a full-time hustle. Book is my business and everything in that book I just applied it all and it worked. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. You know, so many people struggle with escaping nine to five. So many people struggle with starting a business. And that book did both of those things for me. I mean, I didn't have to think about anything. I just followed the roadmap, you know, and it worked. Yeah. I think for me, uh, it's been a few years ago, but I heard uh, a guy named Patrick Lencioni speak at a conference 
And it was when he had yeah. just released his book, Go Put Your Strengths to Work. And uh, the j- big concept of that is so many times you hear that you need to work on your weaknesses to to make yourself better overall. But if you put your strengths to work, if you do what you're uniquely good at, then uh, that's how you can excel. And that was like a, oh my gosh, what am I do- wasting on my time doing all this other stuff for when I am so good at X, Y, and Z? And so that was one of those like, oh, that makes so much more sense. So <laughs> yeah, he's a great author. And and that's a little bit about what Tim's book teaches you. It teaches yeah. you how to identify high leveraged activities that bring you energy versus low impact activities or lowly leveraged activities that drain your energy. And then it teaches you how to automate, delegate, or eliminate all the stuff that sucks your energy. Give that work to somebody else mm-hmm. because what's the way to put this? Like performing a task and whether or not it brings you energy is totally relative. Mm -hmm. And so something that drains your energy is going to bring somebody else energy. Why not delegate it to that person and find them so that they can become part of your team. You could do great work for them, hand it off. And then at the end of the day, when I look at my calendar every week, it's only things that bring me energy. And that's such a great place to be. And Mm -hmm. I, like you say, I only do things that I'm good at. Everything else gets delegated. Typically the things I'm bad at that, you know, sometimes people tell you to, to fix your weaknesses. No, I just delegate my weaknesses. Yeah, I've been trying to delegate exercising. It's not going too well for me. <laughs> that's one that's very hard to delegate. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to get that figured out. Uh, one Do question. push-ups for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just sweating looking at that guy. Um, but yeah. Oh, something we ask everybody on the podcast is what's something you're learning right now? It could be as big as uh, astrophysics and uh, the cause, the science, I don't know, anything like that. Or it could be as small as learning how to tie your shoes different. Well, what's something you're learning right now? Well, funny enough, I'm learning how to tie my shoes different. No, I'm just kidding. That's incredible. Um, I <laughs> I am learning how to release a book and promote and market it effectively. I'm learning how to be interviewed and self-promote, talk a little bit about my book. Uh, that's a difficult process. I mean, we help people promote and market their books, but doing it yourself, it's a totally different process. So I'm going through that for the first time and it gives me a lot more empathy and understanding of what our clients go through because you spend years writing a book and then you go to put it out and it's so hard. It is not easy. So, you know, I'm very appreciative of you having me on to share my story a little bit and maybe it will resonate with one or two people in your audience and they'll pick up a copy of the book. Like you never know. Um, But I'm learning that for the first time and it's not easy. All right. So random question as a, a future author who is uh, someday going to release a book. How much does this feel like planning and executing your wedding? I, I'll go back to my wife. I am so lucky. All I had to do was show up at my wedding. We just got married in May, a uh, beautiful wedding. Uh-huh. And she did most of it. You know, she wanted control of that process and I really didn't. So, um, but I would say for the most part, yeah, it does it does feel very similar to that in terms of effort and energy. And, you know, obviously I was part of the process. So, uh, running around like a chicken with your head cut off. I mean, it's very similar. Yeah. I remember. So I, a lot of the work I do uh, in a secular job would be compared to like a production job. So, uh, sound and lights and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm constantly planning events and this kind of thing. And so I remember thinking, uh, when it came to our wedding, I was like, Oh, this is easy. I do this all the time. And the, 
like the immense amount of personalization that went into it is what made it so much different. So like you're helping people put their books into the world all the time, but then when it's personal and it's yours, it's your baby. That's when it gets, that's when it gets real. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Wake up call over here for me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm so excited. And like, I, again, so as a person who's just watching from afar to me, it's fun because I, I love learning from your experience. And so, uh, I, I just want to, I'm going to call you in a few minutes and just pick your brain for hours about this whole process and how it's going for you. And it's cool that even somebody who is doing such cool things as you, that you're, this isn't just something that you're just throwing out there, but you're, you're putting your heart and soul into it. And I hope it reaches a ton of people for you. Yeah. Thank you. Look, I'm, I'm looking to serve my younger self. Like there's a version of me in the past that wishes he had access to these tools and these strategies for improving his life. And, uh, he figured it out, but he, it took him a little while, right? It took him a decade to figure it out. And so I want to help shortcut that process for people like you're mentioning learning through your own failure. It's a good teacher, but it can be painful learning by reading about other people's failures from the comfort of your own couch or your bed or something like that. And that's a little bit easier, right? Because you don't have to experience everything yourself, but you still get to bypass that obstacle when you face it. So that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I love it, man. All right. So we are at the last round. Uh, I call it the common ground round. It's where we see if maybe you and I are alike. And so, uh, I, you got your uh, notepad there. I've got my three by five cards here. And we are going to find out if maybe you and me are a little bit alike, okay? So okay. I'm going to ask you uh, five this or that style questions. And um, I'm actually mentally reordering them because uh, one of the, them we've already answered a million times for you and me. So uh, let's just get that one out of the way. Would you, When you're reading a book, would you rather read a fiction or a nonfiction book? Again, I wrote this one foolishly beforehand, having should have known. But all right, here we go. Three, two, one. I can't believe you wrote not. Oh, look at us nonfictioners reading those <laughs> books. <laughs> um, uh, what is the most recent uh, favorite nonfiction book that you've uh, read? Oh, you're just asking me in general? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't know if this was a this or that. Uh, nope. um, yeah, if we both were reading the same book, that would be amazing. Um, I just started this book right here, $100 million Leads by Alex Hormozzi. It's a book on how to generate more leads for your business. That's a problem that a lot of business owners have, and uh, everybody could use a little bit more attention for their business. So that's exactly what this book is going to do for me. I love it. Um, and then uh, in the same kind of vein, what is the nonfiction book that you go back to the most? Or are you a one and done you no, I'm them. definitely not a one and done. I've read so many books 10 plus times. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. It's a book that teaches you that small steps in the right direction mm -hmm. eventually compound into this exponential progression, right? This hockey stick curve. So the same input has a bigger output. And I think sometimes we get overwhelmed with a big task. Like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. No matter how many times you read Aesop's fable, the tortoise and the hare, the tortoise always wins. Slow and steady. That's where it's at. Do the right things, the right little small steps every single day. It's where the magic happens. Yeah. <clears throat> we had a, a consultant come in a few years ago and he told us we were up against some like big changes we were needing to make. And he goes, oh, well then just make them 1% at a time. And we were like, huh? 
And it was just, yeah. he's like, like you would be shocked if you make 1% changes once a week or once a month, how quickly it changes everything. And so it's that yeah, there's a metaphor in the book. It says if a plane is taking off from LA to New York city, right? That's like 3000 miles. If the nose of the plane is off by just 1%, as that 1% compounds, that plane will end up about 150 miles off course. That's a big difference. That's a big deal. Just a 1% change though. So mm-hmm. yeah, as it compounds, what's a 1% change look like in your fitness? What's a 1% change look like in your relationship? What's a 1% change look like in your personal finances? And so that's what I'm all about. Like these small little changes that I can pull from books and implement directly into who I am and what I'm looking to become. I I genuinely enjoy asking you questions about books or things that you've learned because you... Uh, you're, you're not, not engaged, but when I ask you, like it goes to the next level, you love this so, so much and you can tell (laughs) it's great, man. All right. So, uh, so that was like, that one was very much in your lane. This, this, or that question is way outside of it. Would you rather go to a toga party or an ugly Christmas sweater party? All right. I'm ready. If you are, here we go. Three, two, one. I want ugly sweater. You went Christmas party, yeah, that's that's a better. No one wants to see me in a toga. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, well, I own a few very ugly Christmas sweaters, and uh, it's been a while, a while since I've been able to pull them out and use them. So, I'd like to I'd like to to do that. You know, I'll just tell you a funny story. One time, I was a recent college graduate. I was living up in New Hampshire, and one day I decided it would be funny to wear an ugly Christmas sweater to the bar in October. And everyone was yelling at me, take that off. It's not Christmas, you know? So created a lot of controversy, <laughs> but I'm a big ugly sweater guy. Oh man. Um, for everybody listening, uh, please check the show notes. Uh, Nick's going to send us a picture of all of his <laughs> ugly Christmas sweaters and we'll have those linked in the bio for you. Don't worry about that. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> all right. Again, this is a random uh it has no connotations, but if you had to for one week, either act like a chicken or a donkey for the entire week, you going chicken or donkey. I don't know who writes these questions and I don't know why I chose to add it in today, but here we are. You ready? Well, we'll see if we're thinking the same. I went oh, chicken. Oh no, different. <laughs> I went donkey. Any reason behind that outside of wanting to hang out with Shrek? Yeah, when I was thinking about a chicken, like it's a lot of work to move around and and find seeds or worms or whatever the case is. Like you're always pecking around. Whereas I feel like a donkey is mostly sedentary. Mm. It just kind of hangs out, eats a little bit of grass and like chills most of the time. So I thought, you know, it'd be be kind of a nice break from all the work that I do. (laughs) Okay. I like it that you took that in a strange way, very literally. So good on you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now you have to tell me why you chose chicken. You know, I... I figured, uh, who doesn't like corn? I feel like they eat a lot of corn. <laughs> so, um, true, true. But on second thought, if I could be Eddie Murphy's donkey from Shrek, that sounds kind of fun, uh, a talking donkey. But you know what? I've already made up my mind. We're going chicken, and you can't change me from that. So, love and it. I'll tell you what: to- I eat more chicken than I eat donkey. So that is true. <laughs> so I guess uh, for me, I am what I eat. And I am not that. All right. Uh, when it comes to cuisine, are you going Cajun or Italian? Writing. Hey, he's got it. Here we go. I went Italian. Which way did you go? Oh, I went Cajun. <laughs> Any reason? 
Well, you know what? Growing up in Boston, there's a lot of great Italian food. So I have an appreciation for Italian food. I just went last year to Italy and I got the chance to explore Rome and some other areas around it. Italian food's amazing, but I love spice. I love mm. Cajun food. It's got that kind of spice to it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Cajun chicken, big fan. <laughs> is there a, so Cajun chicken, bleh, back to chicken. Uh, is there any like special dish that you're like, yes, I need that in my life right now? Oh, all of it. Well, I mean, my parents, they're best friends. So like kind of like my aunt and uncle growing up, they're from Louisiana. And so mm -hmm. there were a lot, of, a lot of like Cajun bar, you know, crawfish, all that kind of stuff. Like all of it. I love all of it. Yeah. Uh, I love, uh, honestly, both. This one was a, uh, just the, the better of two goods. And so uh, I love me some Italian food, but yeah, every now and again, when you can get some really good, like crawfish etouffee or some good jambalaya, that uh, sounds like a little bit of heaven and I'm currently salivating. So I need this conversation <laughs> to end quickly so that we can get out there and, uh, and get to some uh, food here. All right. So one last question. We are in Thanksgiving season. We're getting close here. Uh, and so, uh, as far as sides go, for your Thanksgiving uh, dinner, are you going mashed potatoes or sweet potato casserole? Mashed or sweet potato casserole. Let me know when you're ready. Okay. Here we go. I'm Three, ready. Two, one. I went mashed. You went. Oh, no. We went. <laughs> I went sweet potato. Well, oh, man. you know what? Just like you in the last one, I could have gone. Well, actually, in most of these, I could go either way. But I think that um, we've been eating a lot of sweet potatoes recently. I don't know why, mm -hmm. but we have been. And maybe even tonight after we fin up, finish up the podcast, maybe I'll be having some sweet potato. We've just I don't know why we're having it a lot. So that's been on my mind more recently. So that's why I picked it. That's a good choice. No, there's that's a, a no wrong answers. Uh on your sweet potato casserole, like we're thinking Thanksgiving here, are you like putting like the brown sugar and the pecans and stuff on top of there? Or? Definitely. Yep. Oh yeah. That's, that's the way to go. Um, a few years ago, uh, I'm, mine was mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. A few years ago, it was actually 2020. Uh, my wife got COVID the week of um, Thanksgiving. And so uh, it was like, she was going to be on the back end of like quarantine stuff right at Thanksgiving. So I was like, I'm going to make Thanksgiving dinner. I know you can't taste anything right now, but I like, I'm going to make Thanksgiving dinner. And so I made like a turkey breast and all this stuff. And in the process, I made mashed potatoes and I guess I ADD enough that I kept adding salt without thinking or remembering <laughs> that I'd already added salt. And so by the time that it got to eat Thanksgiving dinner, uh, my wife who couldn't taste anything, she goes, babe, I think you put too much salt in these mashed potatoes. <laughs> and now every time we make mashed potatoes, my boys ask me, they're like, dad, did you put too much salt in these? I'm like, it was one time three oh, years ago, funny. leave me alone. So I'm never going to live that one down. Oh, um, that is funny. Yeah. So uh, hopefully in your mashed potatoes or sweet potato casserole, there's not too much salt. All right. Yeah, so well, we had shepherd's pie last night for dinner and the, you know, a layer of mashed potatoes on top and they were great. So no, not too much salt in those, but I think that was actually a dish, a dish that my mom gave us. So, but, uh, well again, check in the show notes for uh, Nick's mom's, uh, shepherd's pie uh, recipe. It's delicious. <laughs> Everybody's talking about it. All right. So, uh, again, there's people out there that they, they're, they've heard this conversation today and they're like, I need that book in my life. Uh, how can I get a hold of this book right now? So give us all the details. If they want to follow you or book thinkers or any of the above, how can people follow you best? Uh, 
Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to interview me and ask me a lot of these fun questions. This was a, a different experience for me and I loved it. And maybe I'll have to steal some of these uh, formats for my own show. But in all seriousness, thank you so much for, for interviewing me today. The book title again is Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. So if you are somebody who's reading these personal development style books, but you want to take more action, the book's for you. And it's available in all the online retailers. So wherever you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, wherever you want to grab it. And then if you want to connect with me, one of my favorite things to do, Mike, is play book matchmaker. So mm. I love to listen to somebody's problem or listen to somebody's goals and provide a book recommendation for them. So if anybody wants to connect with me on Instagram at bookthinkers. DM me. Tell me the problem you're facing. Tell me the skill you want to acquire. I'll probably ask some follow-up questions, but then I'll play that book matchmaker role and make a recommendation and even follow up with you in a few months to see if you've read the book and what you thought of it. I love that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to come up with several very strange scenarios and see uh, what you can do with those <laughs> because that is the way that my dumb brain works. Um, Nick, thank you again so, so much for being a part of this. I have had a blast. I hope you have too, man. This has been fun. Yes. Yeah, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being oh, no. cool. And uh, for everyone listening, thank you for joining this week, uh, joining us this week. We will see you next week here on Maybe You're Like Me. Maybe You're Like Me.